This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. It's the Mike Missanelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Mike Missanelli Podcast, the special Wednesday edition of the Mike Missanelli Podcast. Because we had to wait for a couple of things to develop in Philadelphia sports. And of course, this podcast is always brought to you by Bet Rivers, the great people at Bet Rivers and the Bet Rivers app, and all the kinds of great bets that you can make now with college football coming up this weekend and in the NFL the following week. So get that Bet Rivers app, check out all the lines a little later in the show. We'll touch base with Seth Joyner, my partner on uh, Eagles postgame shows on Jacob Media. We'll talk about the season where the Eagles figure. It'll be good working with Seth again for another season. And also, he's going to give us details of his three-week trip to Italy, Monaco, and France. Yeah, I, I, I went to Wildwood, New Jersey uh, last week. In any event, let's start the podcast with what we call the current things that are currently going on that that we should be paying attention to. And let's start with the Phillies. They are sizzling hot. They have won now five in a row, seven of their last eight. Here's some numbers. 57 home runs in the month of August already. Five home runs last night as they pounded the pathetic Los Angeles Angels. Will you talk about a franchise that was just built for doom? Trading deadline, instead of trading Atani, they pad up. They get a losing record since then. He blows out his elbow. Uh, but who cares about them? The Phillies are now 16 games over 500. And before they won last night, I was checking the uh, the athletic power rankings. The power rankings had them ninth in Major League Baseball. Behind, all right, in the NL, the Braves, the Dodgers, I got it, Milwaukee Brewers. Now, there's no way at this point, after watching the Phillies the last couple of nights, could they be ranked behind the Brewers at this point. Phillies are really coming into their own. Now, a couple things about last night's game. Um. They walk Harper in this game last night, which is the Cardinal sin in baseball to, to put the uh, the go-ahead run, the tying run on base, right, um, to face Alec Bohm, who promptly hits a home run. And then I see I see Alec Bohm in the dugout, and he says, yeah, F you, or something like that, like a, a little subliminal message to the Angels. Nobody really caught it, but I caught it. It's like, yeah, you walk, you walk Harper to get to me. Well, let me tell you something. I'd walk Harper, too. As hot as he's been, I'd walk Harper, take my chances to get Boehm out, but it backfired like everything backfires on the Angels. And then I'm watching this game. Listen, I have great reverence for Otani. Uh, he, he's the greatest player in the game. Obviously, a two-way player we haven't seen before. Knows the game inside out. And last night in the game, he tries to steal third base with two outs and, and Renafro at the plate, who had hit two home runs in the game. And I'm going... What in the hell? Now what, now, what do you say to Otani as he comes in? A great player like Otani, what do you say to him as he comes into the dugout? Do, do you mean that's a stupid play? Uh, and, and even if he said it's a stupid play, he wouldn't understand you anyway. The, the interpreter would have to come over. So, Darren, when you saw that, well, Otani comes in the dugout. If you're the manager, what do you do? I, 
you freak out. <laughs> You're nervous at that point. <laughs> well, you can't freak out on a guy like Otani. That's the beauty of it. Otani's Otani, <laughs> right? So, you know, what are you going to say to him? You're going to you're going to pound him over that kind of a fundamental mistake after what he's done for your team this year? Uh, you know, though, he should know better. I mean, maybe you'll freak out, but you got to go, hey, man, we're counting on you. You can't. He definitely should know better. And maybe somebody would have to remind him. But there's only – my point is there's only so much you can say to a superstar, especially that guy, right? But, but I, that, that, you know, listen, as a purist of baseball, I guess, as soon as he started to run, I go, what's he running for? And then uh, uh, JT threw him out. Uh, well, Sosa made a great play on the play. Well, it doesn't benefit you to get there. There's no reason why you should be trying to steal third base there. All right, in any event, the Phillies over the last 12 games have outscored opponents 52 to 9 from the sixth inning on. And this is why when I watch this team, I go, they're never out of it. They always get behind early. And, and, it, and it's funny because when you follow this team, they get behind early and the, and the Miserables come out on Twitter. Oh, this team, they, they can't. And then all of a sudden, they just rake you from the sixth inning on because of they, they their lineup is complete. They, they, this is a good lineup. And, you know, at one point I thought, you know, this is not the year they beat the Braves. But you're, you're going to get them in a seven-game series if you hit the way you hit and your first two pitchers pitch the way they've been pitching, yes, you can beat the Braves. I didn't think that until this point. When I see this team mash, I think in a short series, if they mash and just their two guys hold their own, they can win the series. Let's look at the pitching staff. It's actually 55 to 9 now, Mike, after last night. All right. So uh, let's look at, at, at uh, the pitching staff and everybody who thinks is the weak link, Aaron Nola. Quietly, he's had five consecutive starts of at least seven innings with two or fewer runs. Within that, I don't know if anybody has seen this. They have been talking to him about, like, he's obsessed with when he gets, when base runners are on from the stretch. He hasn't been a great pitcher in the stretch. And, and the reason why is because he's got a really slow delivery and a high kick. And so runners will take advantage of that. And, and from what I've been told, he's been so obsessed with that that it throws off his mindset on him hitting corners as a pitcher. So what he's incorporated, and I saw it the other day, couldn't believe it, a slide step. And, and he's not going to do that all the time because he's not comfortable pitching him a slide step. Most pitchers aren't. And a slide step is when you don't have the high leg kick. You can just kind of slide your left foot out. And you get a quicker delivery, and that throws runners off stride. As long as he can get runners to think that he might do that, that's going to help him measure. This is the little nuances of baseball you got to look at that make a difference. Uh, so, so there you go. Now, let's get to Wheeler. Uh, he, he's given up three runs only once in his last nine starts. His ERA over that span, 2.87, and his average velocity has been up. Now, we all worry about him being worn down. Oh, here we are in late August. I don't know what September's going to bring, but his average velocity has gone up. So cross your fingers that these two guys are not going to get worn out by the time they get to October baseball. And let's remind ourselves. I know that we had a lingering effect on what they did not do against the Astros but let's remind ourselves that in that first series that springboarded the Phillies to where they got last year, Wheeler and Nola threw 13 scoreless innings to help beat the Cardinals in that first-round playoff matchup, a matchup they weren't supposed to win, by the way, because the games were in St. Louis. So uh, all's good with the Phillies, and I I'll leave you with this. Um, how about the – what do you think about Trey Turner now? Where are, where are all the people, the Trey Turner haters? <laughs> and listen – 
I'm not going to say it was as simple as a standing ovation because a good player eventually finds it. And that's what I've always thought about Trey Turner. Once you get confidence as a hitter, you go, okay, I, I'm a good player. And, and he just lost that for a little bit. And now he's got it back. And he's making great plays in the field, and he's hitting. Now think about that lineup now. With all this, these completed guys that are all hitting at the same time, and you tell me they can't get to the World Series. They certainly can. So let's look and jump ahead to the playoffs because that's what I look at. First round matchup will be likely a three-game series at Citizens Bank Park against the Chicago Cubs. I don't think that they'll have problems with that, especially with their two pitchers starting down with Wheeler and Nola going in those two. I don't think they have a problem. I think they win the first two. They get the Cubs out of the way. And here we get to the moment of truth. In the second round, the Phillies would face the Braves. So it wouldn't be in the final. It would be in that second round that the Phillies would face the Braves. If you remember last year, the Braves got spooked in Philadelphia. Now, uh, they would have home field advantage this year. So how are you, Darren? Let me call you in. How are you thinking right now? Second round, Phillies Braves. Your analysis right at this moment. I think you'd be crazy to think that they wouldn't be thinking about last year. That that stadium and our fans are already in their head. That's an advantage. Now, hopefully, there are pitching lines up. So that we, you know what I mean? So that's my only concern. If you burn Wheeler and Nola against the Cubs, you know, is the timing right to bring them back in against the Braves? But well, probably not. So you're saying that the first two games might be a Lorenzen uh, Sanchez um, situation. Or, yeah, or Ranger. I don't know what they do there. I mean, they've got, I mean, it's an embarrassment of riches, I guess. But um, Lorenzen scares me a little bit. I don't know if I want Lorenzen in the playoffs. It's not an embarrassment of riches. It's not an embarrassment of riches, okay? You don't you, you would don't want to start a series against the Braves with Ranger Sanchez and Lorenzen. You just don't. And that, that's the main way it may shake out. So your home field advantage um, wouldn't be that those first two games would be in, in uh, uh, Atlanta. So when you come back, you would have your Bulls. So hopefully they steal one in Atlanta, and then the whole series turns around. And then you come back with Nola or Wheeler and Nola right. in home. I hope. Exactly. All right, last thing on the Phillies. Can, uh, this discussion was, I guess, with, with Mike Schmick and Bryce Harper. What, I think it was to get the 500 home runs. He, he certainly can't get the 600 home runs. Uh, can he get the 500 home runs? Well, let's, let's look at it. Now, now surprisingly, and he's, he's missed a lot of time. Uh, I get it. Uh, Bryce Harper averages less than 30 home runs a season. He's 30 years old now. So if he hits 40 a season for the next five years, that'll give him 200 more to get to 500 more the chances are he's not going to do that that he's going to hit 40 a season for the next five years so that might have to be spread out like uh over the like 200 over the next six years so the question is do you believe he gets the 500 home runs oh man I, you know no i'm gonna say no only because i just his health, his health is so up and down, Mike. I don't think, it, it, you know, I don't think his body. It, it's probably a long shot that he gets the 500 home runs. You never, you never Mike Schmidt said, oh, of course he's going to get the 500. Well, I don't know. He, he, as much as we think of him as a power hitter, and he's had big years, I mean, he's only averaging 27 home runs a year. So, uh, you know, that's a little light for, for a guy that you're talking about to get to this, uh, 500 home runs. All right, so that's our Phillies chat for today on the Mike Missinelli podcast. 
let's talk about the Eagles as we lead into Seth Joyner coming up. The roster of 53 was set. Now, the roster of 53, when they have that deadline, is never the final roster. They're going to make some moves here. They're going to make some moves there. They're looking at everybody else's waiver wire. They're going to pick up some guys that they think can help them. And I especially think they're going to pick up a couple linebackers or at least one linebacker because on the roster right now, they only have three. And one's the Kobe Dean, the other is Cunningham, where they traded for. The other is Christian Ellis. So that's not a powerful, potent linebacker situation. Um, the cuts, uh, were there some surprises? Yeah, I think there were some surprises. They they cut the punter, but then they're going to put him in a practice squad. Nobody will pick him up. So in the meantime, it gives them time to audition another punter. If not, that's not the case, they bring him back. Uh, they did cut a couple of, uh, of, of fast Caucasian receivers. One who uh, handled punts last year. So Brent Covey's gone. Devin Allen, the Olympic hurdler, was cut. Yeah, I thought he had a chance to make it as a kickoff returner. Uh, Greg Ward, for, for reasons that are unclear to me, the Philadelphia Eagle fan base loves Greg Ward. I don't get it. Just a very average. I like Who cares that they cut Greg Ward? Kevon Wallace, they finally gave up on him. Uh, and they cut the, the linebacker who was projected to be a starter when they got him. Nicholas Morrow is no longer on the team. Uh, and Josiah Scott, who saw significant playing time last year, uh, is not on the team this year. And the one guy that you looked at that, that made the uh, secondary uh, was Eli Ricks, who had a really good preseason, earned that spot. So any surprises, Darren, uh, from the, the 53 that they have right now? You know, not for me. I Really, I, I mean, Kevon Wallace and Josiah Scott were out of position eight out of every 10 plays they were on the field. And I think they just got tired of it. I mean, and, and they're they're pretty deep in the defensive backfield, believe it or not. Um, I love Ricks. The one thing that I, I really love that Roseman has learned finally is you see all these guys, even these like late round picks and these UDFA picks, you know, the Jobes and the and Ricks, uh, they're from the programs that Georgia, Alabama, LSU, these big SEC programs. He, they're flooding the roster with guys from those top powerhouse programs, which is what we've been asking Roseman to do for so long. And it seems like he, you know, he's he's learned that. So that's why I have confidence in these moves. All right. The Eagles won't have this 53 when they play the New England Patriots. So uh, move over. There'll be room for a couple of other players here, and we'll uh, keep you abreast of that as it goes along. It's the Mike Nussanelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. All righty, football season almost upon us. It's the longest week ever, and we're looking forward to the Eagles this season, but we're also looking forward to the postgame show with my buddy, who we did uh, the postgame show uh, last year for the first the year with Jacob Media. We'll be back for a return engagement beginning on September 10th. He, of course, is the great Eagle linebacker and great football analyst, Seth Joyner, joining us. What's up, Seth? All good, Mikey Miss. What's happening? Good. I haven't seen you in a long time. I know you've had a better summer than me. So like, t- tell the people that you see, I was going to like, uh, you know, the Jersey Shore. You were on the shores of Capri, crying out loud, and the Amalfi Coast. Tell us a little bit about this. Well, you know, I try to. Mike, listen, my, my theory is I work hard. So, you know, I've got to take some time during the year to play hard, you know, Um you know, the wife, she's always complaining about how much money we spend. But I'm like, we can't we can't take it with us. And I'm not leaving it all to my kids. So um, we're going we're gonna to spend a little bit of it every year. So we um, we decided to do a little three week stint and in, um, in Italy, um, Italy, 
Uh, we were there for probably about two and a half weeks. We were in, flew into Rome, um, did all the tours in Rome. We left Rome and flew down to um, to Naples. Um, from Naples, we took a boat over to Capri. We spent a couple of days in Capri. Um, came back from Capri, from Capri, went to Sorrento. And Sorrento was kind of like our, our main hub. Um, so we spent some time in Capri, went down to, uh, a Sorrento rather, went down to um, Positano, spent a day in Positano, you know, went down to Amalfi, spent, you know, two days, you know, down on the Amalfi coast, um, and then came back and uh, went over to Vesuvius uh, for a day, did a tour there and a wine tour there as well. Um, that was that was just phenomenal. You know, you, you can't be, you know, in that city and look up at the mountain and look at what happened to the city and not you, you just kind of imagine what it was like for those people um, when the mountains, you know, blowing up and is spewing, you know, ash and, and sediment, you know, 13 to 18 miles up in the air. It's just, you know, phenomenal when you think about it. And then we um, had a golf event um, that I was actually, you know, playing and we coincided with our trip. We spent um, two days in a small town in Northern Italy. And then we spent two days, three days actually in Monaco. Um, and then we went from Monaco to Nice. And then my son and my daughter joined us and we spent, you know, another five days, um, another five days in Nice. You know, we went to Cannes, went to Saint-Tropez, you know, all of that kind of stuff. I tell you, one of the most phenomenal things is too, is that, you know, uh, my better half booked me around the golf um, when we were in Rome. And so, you know, we're on our way to the golf course and I'm looking around. I'm like, there's not a golf course around here that's worth its salt. It's got to be a goat ranch. So we pull up and I'm hitting balls warming up. And I'm like, why in the hell are these stands over here on the number one tee box? And I turn around and look, there's a Ryder Cup emblem. Up. And I'm like, well, maybe maybe it's a maybe a, there was a Ryder Cup here a long time ago. So I look, it says 2023. So I go online, I start Googling. I'm like, holy shit, the the, the Ryder Cup is being played at this venue. Yeah. You know, she had no idea, man. She she booked it, but it was like, wow. so I can't wait, you know, next month to see the Ryder Cup and see this golf course. But the golf course is actually a really good golf course, you know, once you got out there and away from, you know, everything else. But I was really shocked and what a treat it was to be able to play that ahead of the, the, the Ryder Cup. Wow. That's that is such yeah. a cool trip, man. So I know, first of all, you're a workout fanatic, and I know uh, you know a lot of pasta you had to be eating over there, and then it'd go to France with <laughs> you know buttery dishes. Like how how did you manage that whole thing? You know something, man. Listen, Mike. I um by the time I got to the end of the season last year, I was two hundred and seventy pounds. That's like way way over the top for me. Um, but you know, with my first year doing, you know, the pre and post game in Atlantic City, um, you know, 6ABC on Sunday night, you know, WIP on Monday morning, and then taping my show on Tuesday. I was just all out of sorts. Um, but when the season was over, I went home, I lost about 30 pounds, you know. So when I went to Italy, I was 240. You know, I was Ooh. slim and trim. And the amazing thing is in three weeks, I gained one pound. And that tells me something about the food now. You know, yeah. 
it tells you really tells you something about the food because I didn't hold back on anything. I ate what I wanted when I wanted. I had some great wine, you know, the whole deal. You know, had dessert every night. Um, so that kind of gives you an idea of what's going on with the food here. When you know, I can what work healthier. What healthier over there. I, I can work for six months, you know, and put on thirty pounds, you know, <laughs> and, but I can be on vacation for three weeks and eat whatever I want, you know, and gain one pound. That's awesome. Well, well, you're so you're in good shape to start this show, and we'll start it next week. So let's let's talk about what we're uh, going to be talking about all season and where this team is at this point. First of all, any surprises on the final fifty three? I know they'll tweak that, and some new guys will come on, and they'll add a position here, position there. But uh, any surprises uh, that, that you saw for the fifty three that they have right now? No, and I as, and I tell you why I'm not surprised by anything because I don't think it'll stay where it is. You know, they they've got a whole another week. Um, I'm pretty sure they're evaluating guys that have been let go in other places. Um, and because of that, um, I don't really put a whole bunch into, you know, the final roster because it's not final. Uh, it won't be final. In my opinion, it'll be in flux, you know, for the next four weeks. You're going to have injuries and you're going to have, you know, guys that you thought could get it done that were on the that were on the bubble that won't get it done through the first four weeks. Um, that you'll make some changes and you'll make some decisions on. So um, there's no surprises. You know, I, I don't think this thing will really have a – will have an idea what this roster is going to look like until we get past week four. So we know they're good, and, and there's not much you could, we really could see in preseason because the positions are locked up. We know they're deep. Um, but I'm curious to know what you think now. Uh, you weren't a big fan of the defensive coordinator last year. Do you see any differences in this defensive coordinator that is more in line with the way you like defense? Well, listen, I I, I think that we're in a new age. Um, I would find it, you know, hard to believe that Nick Sirianni would hire a defensive coordinator that's that far out of the realm of, you know, um, you know, what they were last year. I just think by nature, Jonathan Gannon also is, you know, a very, you know, passive minded defensive coordinator. Um, the thing I liked about, you know, Deshaun about, about the side rather um, is the fact that, you know, in his, in his opening press conference, he said, you know, we want to make people feel us, you know, we want to be in people's faces. We want to be aggressive. So you, you never heard that you know, from Jonathan Gannon. And then I don't know if you, you know, watched the last preseason game. Nobody really wants to watch that. But, you know, he was pretty aggressive in his play calling. I mean, he was sending some people. Yeah, yeah, they were down. Um, and, you know, you didn't have anything to lose. You you know, you, you're just – you're sending these guys who, you know, essentially five days later are going to be on the streets. But, you know, the fact that he had it in his arsenal, you know, the fact that he – could disguise something and give you something else. The, the fact that he could be a little more aggressive where he needed to be um, and the verbiage that he's been putting out there has me a little a little more optimistic about what they're going to look like from a defensive perspective. Um, you can be aggressive, but also keep the keep the lid on your defense, you know, where you know, you're not giving up any big plays. Um but there are times I think also, you know, where you got to just, you know, you got to go zero sometimes. And, you know, I've heard people say in the Super Bowl, you know, he did that and he got hurt. Well, you know, anytime that, you know, you, you have a defensive coordinator 
Mike, that, you know, his whole play sheet is about that big, you know, um, how much imagination do you have on that play sheet? You know, he had shown all year long that, you know, he wasn't very big on disguise, that um, he wasn't big on guys moving around, um, that he wasn't very big on creativity. I don't get the sense that Sean Desai is that type of guy. But I do think that, you know, the mindset is still going to be, you know, we don't want to give up any big plays while we make big plays. Nick Sirianni has said that. Um, so you know, listen, the jury's out. You know, we know what they're going to be on the offensive side of the ball, you know, and I think they're going to be even better this year if that's even possible than they were last year, just because Jalen Hurst is going to have a second year with um, A.J. Brown. He's going to have his third year with um, Devontae Smith. And, and, and for the most part, you know, his third year with Dallas Goddard. Um, so, and he's going to be in this system going into his third year. It's the first time in a long time that he's probably, since he was probably in youth football, that he's been in the same system for more than a year. Um, so I expect for him to take another step. The question mark is going to be how quickly the defense can come around. They've got enough talent to be good. Um, obviously injury is going to be an issue, but the other thing is, you know, how quickly can they get from, from A to Z? Because I think early on the offense is going to have to carry the defense until they get to, you know, to dominance. Well, let's look at the, I, you know, I, the, the two positions that we were looking at all preseason, who would uh, accompany Dean at linebacker, who would accompany Blankenship at, at safety. Uh, they're, they're pretty deep in, in various positions. They're not deep at linebacker. They have three on the roster right now. I assume they'll add another one. But the guy they, they traded for, Zach Cunningham, makes it, and Christian Ellis makes it, along with N'Kobe Dean. Uh, again, a devaluing of the linebackers. Like, what do you think of that situation? You know, it's the thing that continues to bite them, and I don't. I just don't understand why they continue to do it. You know, um, you, you go in, you bring in Miles Jack, and you know the guys. You know, I, I I I had heard you know that someone saw him walk from the facility out to the practice field the first day and said that he ain't gonna make it. <laughs> so. Uh, you know, he's what's out there, so that's all that you can do, you know. Then you turn around and, you know, the guy you spent a third-round draft pick on, um, the kid out of Colorado that they let go of this year, Davion Taylor, you know, how do you not develop that talent, you know? I mean, here's a kid that runs a four four forty, you know, built like Zeus, and you can't figure out, you know, how to get him, you know, productive just productive enough to be a special team player as you continue to develop him. And maybe, I don't know, maybe the fact that, you know, um, you know, he's a kid who didn't play a lot of football growing up. Maybe that factored into, you know, his development. I don't know. Um, but it seems like they always, they're always trying to piecemeal this thing. You know, they won't seem to never draft a linebacker. And I think this is how he's MO um, at a position you know, lower than three. They draft Michael Kendricks at three. They draft, you know, N'Kobe Dean at three. Um, those are the most notable guys, you know, that they, and that's to them, that's probably high. But I think that, you know, you can rely on your defensive line to be, you know, the cornerstone of your defense. But, 
you know, you're not playing three or four linebackers on the field anymore, even though they call those rush guys, you know, linebackers. They're not freaking linebackers. They're going to drop, they're probably going to drop once or twice a game. So they're not really linebackers. Uh, let, let's talk about the one thing that people were really freaked out about. I, I don't get freaked out about this kind of thing, but they were, is the backup quarterback position. He didn't look good. Uh, and the only thing I worry about, Mario, I, I, I'm confident that he can do the things on offense that they do. But I worry about whether his heart is still in the game. He doesn't look like he's gung-ho on playing NFL football anymore. Now, I probably am reading too much into that. But, you know, there's some body language that you can feel out there. And I'm, I'm curious to know how you feel about that. Well, listen, when, you, when you've been a star your entire life, you know, and you've been angling towards being a starter at the highest level and it's snatched from you, more so because of your play than anything else, there is some disenchantment. One of the reasons why I decided to, you know, retire, it wasn't that I couldn't continue to play. It wasn't that there wasn't a team that wanted to sign me. But, you know, everybody wanted me to come in and be, you know, a backup. I'm like, I don't mind backing up just as long as I can compete. If I can compete and somebody beats me out, I'm okay with that. But to just call me a backup right out of the gate, listen, I'll take my ball and go home. I'm done, you know. And sometimes, you know, that's the way it is. But, you know, if somebody's going to offer you $5 million guaranteed to play, you know, what other line of business are you going to do that in, is, you know, when it comes to him? Now, to your point, you know, there's there's a lot of concern for me because, you know, the only thing that he can run is the R and the O in the RPO. He flat out cannot throw the football, you know. Um, and teams are going to stack, stack the box if he has to play. And it's going to be a major problem because you're going to have to massively adjust your offense like they did last year, you know, with Gardner Minshew. And you saw what happened then. I, Mike, I'm of the belief. I was looking at the kid from um, from UCLA. I, I can't his name eludes me at the moment um, to play quarterback for Chip last year. And I was really hoping that the Eagles would draft that kid, you know, in the fourth or the fifth round, because I think that they need to. The same way that what Baltimore has done, you got to go and find a guy that you can um, that you can develop that can run every facet of your offense like Jalen. He's not going to be Jalen, you know, but what he's a step down. But you don't have to change. You don't have to dramatically change your playbook and change what you do, you know, in order to placate him and his abilities and what he does. You've got to have a guy who has similar skill sets to be able to run your offense in totality. And, and you know, as time goes on, I think defenses are going to figure out, you know, what to do with this RPO. They're going to get some reads and they're going to make some changes. That's why I believe that Jalen Hurts this year, you know, his number one area of development is going to be in how he passes the ball. I think they're really going to ev- – try to evolve the, the the offense, excuse me, in a way where, you know, he's a pocket passer. They're going to hand the ball off to the running backs. And when he needs to, you know, use his legs because of offense, because a passing play is broken down, go ahead and use your athleticism. We're going to use the read option and the RPO as a change of pace to just make offenses or defenses be honest in how they defense us. But I don't think they really want him running the ball as much as he ran the ball last year. And I think that he's the next step in the evolution of him as a elite level quarterback is to be 
the guy that can put the ball in the air and throw the throw for, you know, four, 4,000 to 4,500, you know, mm-hmm. yards per season and 40 touchdowns. Yeah, I agree. The Marietta problem doesn't become a problem unless the Hurts gets hurt. So Not a problem unless it is a problem. <laughs> yeah. So you're talking about Dorian Thompson-Robinson, uh, right. the kid from UCLA, who uh, I looked at him in preseason, too. He looked pretty good. Uh, so you, you might be right about that. So somebody passed up a, a chance to get a guy who could be a, a really good player in this league. All right, so let's get to the end of this now. We know they're good. We know on paper they're to most likely the best team in the NFC. So what does it, how, many, how many wins does it take for them to be the number one seed here? Um, I don't think you get the number one seed with less than 13 wins. It's, it's probably going to take okay. 11 or 12 just to win a division. Um, to win the 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 number one seed, I believe it's going to be it's going to have to be thirteen or more wins, and that's going to uh, go past the 49ers, as you see, as that team that could be in that realm. Well, I mean, a, a lot depends on Brock Purdy. You know, is he back one hundred percent? What happens? What other teams going to win twelve games in the in the NFC? Listen, Dallas has won twelve games the last couple of years. They just, you know. They just get to the playoffs yeah. and crap the bed. You know, that's that's their M.O. They're going to figure out a way, you know, whether it's in the playoffs or whether it's to get in the playoffs at the end of the year. They're going to figure out a way. They're like Slep Rock. That, that cloud is over them. And it's just waiting, you know, to not only drop a deluge of rain, but also, you know, some thunder and lightning to hit Dak Prescott and the Dallas Cowboys upside the head. It's going to happen. You know, you just know that it's going to happen. But they're going to they're going to win 11, 12 games easy, easy, because, you know, they're, 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 their roster is just that talented. I like it. 13 and four. I could see that uh, does it. Uh, all right. So we're looking forward to the season, man. This is a great. You know, I know a lot of people say it's hard to get back to the Super Bowl once you lost it. I for this team and the way they're coached and the way they have leadership. I got to think that gives them more incentive to get back. I don't think they take a step back. I think they take a step up to get that next step. See, my, from, from my standpoint, you know, I like what Nick Sirianni is doing, his approach during training camp, you know, that he's coaching the guys a little harder. Um, I think that's necessary. Not only, you know, not only because of, you know, the fact that they got to the Super Bowl and they want to get back this year, but, you know, my thing is, you know, I look at Washington and Eric Bieniemy. How in the world do you have your players go to the head coach and tell the head coach, that the offensive coordinator is is coaching you too intensely. Now you can kind of get a glimpse and a picture of why, you know, the Washington football team has sucked for so many years, you know, because you show me a player that doesn't want to be coached hard, and I'll show you a player who doesn't want to be great, you know, and therein is the issue. So that's part of it, you know, as far as Nick Sirianni is concerned. He is coaching the team, you know, a little bit more intensely, you know, in year three. And I think that's necessary. The other piece is you've got this dynamic of, you know, young players and older players on this roster. Um, and the older players realize that, you know, the clock is ticking. A guy like Jason Kelsey, I think if they would have won the Super Bowl last year, I think he would have rolled off in the sunset. I think he's back for a second Super Bowl is what he's after. Lane Johnson wants a second Super Bowl. Um, so, Fletcher Cox wants and Brandon Graham wants a second Super Bowl. They know what it's like because they've been there. So now they can mentor and lead these younger players and get them to understand 
they get into the playoffs or get into the Super Bowl is not guaranteed. You know, when you get there, you got to close the deal. And our window is slowly but surely closing, you know, from an experiential standpoint. And then you you, you add a guy like Jalen Hurts who just, you know, seems to never be satisfied with anything to the mix, you know, and his screensaver on his phone, you know, the confetti falling, you know, from the Super Bowl last year, the thing that reminds him and drives him is to get back. I don't put it past this team. And and I don't, you know, I don't buy into, you know, the Super Bowl hangover because, you know, I played with a team that won a Super Bowl the year before and came back and won it again. I played on a team that won a Super Bowl the year before and got back the next year and lost one. So, you know, to say that, you know, it's impossible or it's unlikely, I don't buy that, especially with this team, the way that the coach is, the way that the players are, and the way that the leaders are leading this football team. I totally agree. All right, man. The only thing's left. We, we, I'll see you next week as we start another journey. Uh, Eagles postgame show, Jacob Media. We'll be live from uh, from Ocean. Myself, Ed Seth Joyner, Derek Gunn. Looking forward to another great year, Seth. We'll see you then. And, uh, you know, make sure all the – when you get in there, because you got more clout tonight, make sure all those chairs are – or are in the right spots and and the TV's working and all that stuff. All right? Hey man. Hey listen, I just work there. I don't do nothing else. <laughs> I just show up so they don't find me, Mike. All right, Seth, I'll talk to you. <laughs> all right, guys. Thanks for listening to the Mike Bessinelli podcast on the Bet Rivers Network.